0: The cancer journey is unique for everyone. It's time to figure out our new normal, and there's no one-size-fits-all manual. Welcome to Unspoken Cancer Truths with Jen Cochran, because surviving is just the beginning. Welcome to episode 36 of Unspoken Cancer Truths. I'm your host, Jen Cochran. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. There are a lot of organizations focusing on awareness. Awareness is important for sure. In an effort to keep shining a light on the challenges we face after a cancer diagnosis, I've curated a panel of four breast cancer survivors this October. We're focusing on what survivorship really looks like. We're talking about different survivorship topics each week from relationships, surgery options, body image, chronic pain, memory challenges, and the impact on our mental health. One of the biggest challenges we face as a newly diagnosed cancer patient beyond the inevitable information overload is the fact that everyone knows someone who's had cancer and did not survive. In the past, it was true that more people did not survive. One of the challenges is that the word cancer has become synonymous with sadness and grief. And I'm not saying that it's a picnic because. It's not. But more people are surviving. In 2020, it's estimated there are 16.9 million cancer survivors in the United States. And that number is projected to grow to 18 million by 2022. More people are living long, full, otherwise healthy lives once we navigate this thing of cancer. The World Health Organization says there are 200 different diseases referred to with the word cancer the more generic that word becomes the less we can actually understand what it means when someone initially tells you that they have it i often heard from people i have a friend relative neighbor fill in the title of the person here who had breast cancer and died i used to ask what kind of breast cancer did they have knowing that different types and advanced stages have less successful outcomes Every single time the response has been an emphatic breast cancer, they had breast cancer. I don't ask anymore. But I do think it's important to shed light that every diagnosis is unique to every person. And within every type of cancer, there are many flavors with different treatments targeted specifically to the details of that specific cancer. As you'll hear in a moment as I introduce my October survivorship panel, Breast cancer comes in many flavors. There are hormone-positive varieties, HER2-positive with or without a side of hormones, or triple-negative, where the tumor is a bit of a mystery with no hormones and no HER2 components. Then there are different tumor types, like ductal, tubular, lobular, or with the advancements of screenings, many breast cancers are being found before a tumor even forms, and these are often referred to as ductal carcinoma in situ, or DCIS. Screenings are important, and I want everyone to qualify for the least invasive treatments possible, and early detection helps with that. For the next four weeks, I'm being joined by Charlotte Schaff, Gemma Blassard, Robin McTague, and Tanya Thompson. Let me introduce them. Charlotte lives in Arizona. She was diagnosed in 2018 at the age of 47 with stage 2a breast cancer. It was multifocal, multicentric disease. She had five masses taken out of her right breast. The tumors came in many forms, invasive, ductal, tubular, and lobular. They were estrogen and progesterone positive, HER2 negative, and her lymph nodes were also negative. You can hear my full interview with Charlotte in episode 17. Gemma was diagnosed with stage 3B HER2-positive breast cancer in 2013 at only 29 years old. In May of 2017, she had a recurrence, making her a two-time breast cancer survivor. The recent recurrence gave her a unique perspective on private insurance versus the NHS in the UK, and you can check out our original chat about her journey in episode 8. Robin McTague is from Richmond, British Columbia, Canada. She was diagnosed with DCIS ductal carcinoma in situ shortly after her 44th birthday in 2000. It is so interesting how as advocates we often think we know all the components of our diagnosis. And then we revisit those initial documents for something like this brief intro, and we discover new information that we were not aware of. That was the case for Robin. As she was sending me her diagnosis specifics, she noticed that the DCIS was labeled as invasive micropapillary carcinoma. Then she looked up exactly what that meant. It turns out it's a type of breast cancer that's quite rare. Only 6% of breast cancer causes are micropapillary. You can listen in on our chat in episode 14. Tanja Thompson is a retired senior master sergeant in the Air Force. In 2004, while still active duty, she was diagnosed with a fast-moving cancer throughout both breasts. At the time, she was reasonably quiet about her diagnosis, and at the five-year mark, a time that usually signals a reduction in our recurrence risk, she found a suspicious lump, and after many tests with benign or inconclusive results, she insisted that lump be removed. That was an important demand on her part. The pathology determined that the lump represented three different varieties of breast cancer, completely different from the initial type she had been diagnosed with in 2004. From that time forward, she's become an advocate for screenings and teaching patients the importance of advocating for yourself. You can listen in on our original conversation about her experience in episode 22. This week, we're kicking off our conversation about the challenges of survivorship Communication is tricky when it comes to cancer. The truth is, when you share that you have cancer, the response that we receive isn't about us. It's about the person we share it with and everything that they ever knew or heard about cancer. And that's okay. We all found different ways to navigate how we communicated during our cancer journey. So let's dive into this week's chat with the girls. All right. So we're going to jump in on our first topic, relationships and family challenges. So this cancer journey can be a really curious experiment in communication with our family and with our wider circle of relationships. So I would love for you each to share, how did you share with your world along the way? And was there a specific situation that surprised you or that you found to be healing for your people or for yourself? Who
1: wants to jump in first? I'm happy to jump in. Perfect. That's Gemma. Um, So the effect it had on my relationships was of a big variety. Um, I had parents who were incredibly supportive and wanted to be very close to my healing. Um, But when I first found out I was ill, I was so angry about it. And it was there was more pressure added on top because my husband at the time we had an 18 month old daughter he didn't want her to see me upset and tactless as he can be sometimes um with good intent he just sometimes isn't isn't the best communicator he just kind of blurted out well you need to not cry in front of her and this and um i said to him um, I'm not really sure how else you want me to respond. He said, well, if you feel upset, just go to another room. And I was like, okay, uh, fine, I can do that. And I was so confused and I felt quite alone. Um, But I wasn't ready to really share with people on the first day. I was still just in shock Um, and probably for the first week or so. The only time I felt ready to share with people was after I'd seen the oncologist I got diagnosed on the Thursday. I saw the oncologist on the Monday and it was the most reassuring meeting. And that was when I felt ready to share. Um, and I, sh- I just shared privately, I set up a Facebook messenger group and added certain trusted individuals to it. And I said, look, this is the situation. Um, would you like to be kept up to date? And they said, yeah. So I, um, as I got new news as the treatment progressed, I just gradually gave them updates. Um, but it took me about six months before I felt confident to speak about it without feeling upset. And you had just gotten married at the you were getting married when you When I discovered the lump, yes, right. I was getting married. I was um I was actually trying on my wedding dress. Um and I found I, I was just about to go downstairs and try it on and um I came out to share and I found the lump. And then I asked my mum about it, asked her to, to have a look at it and feel it and she said, Yeah, that doesn't feel quite right. So my mum felt quite close to the whole thing from the beginning because she was there when I she was the first person I went to when I found the lump. But she was also the first person who was on my case about going to the doctors. Um, even though I had a wedding to plan and had said, Oh, this is you know, the wed- this today's Saturday, the wedding's on Friday. Um, I've got a lot of stuff to do with work before we go on holiday for two weeks after the wedding. I'm gonna have to just deal with it when I get back. I can't deal with everything else. I'm just stressed planning the wedding. So, um, so yeah. <laughs> and you
0: were traveling. Your wedding was away. I think you were in Turkey, if I recall.
1: Um, we got married here at home in the UK. Okay. And then the next day, we all flew out to Turkey. So that was uh, my parents, my husband, my and our daughter, because they had offered to be the, um, the childcare on the honeymoon. Didn't quite work out that way, but, you know. Uh, and on the Monday, my mum insisted that I go to see the medic on the resort to have it looked at and uh, he looked at it and wanted me to go to a GP, so just standard doctor's office, general doctor's office in Turkey. I went to see them, and then they wanted me to go to the hospital, and miraculously within sort of 10 minutes of getting there, we were seen. You know, we didn't have to wait for ages. We had an ultrasound really quickly and got the results pretty much straight away, and the result was to go home and have a biopsy, but there was no need to cut short the trip. We could just they said, in your country, you've got excellent facilities so and, and excellent healthcare. So if, you know, if it is something bad, you're still going to be in a good shape when you go home. So they said, don't cut your holiday short. Enjoy your holiday. Then go home and have a biopsy. And in hindsight, I was sat there thinking, he knew that I wasn't going to have a holiday anytime soon. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that.
2: Charlotte, did I can chat? Awesome. <laughs> okay, so... Um, Basically, we're talking about the relationship and family challenges uh, in regards to the communication. So for me, I work from home and I have for uh, more than a decade. And for me, my office cooler and my social outlet is social media. It's where I can learn and share and discuss with others. So um, my situation was pretty broad when I found out. I wanted to share it more as a learning uh, situation than to say "Woe is me." I just found out I have breast cancer. Um, my husband is a physician assistant. When he was nineteen, he had a brain tumor, um, and he is very uh, he is very all about making sure that people are following the orders of their doctor because they do that for a reason. And for me, I. Um, in my mid 40s. And at the time, I would just ignore the orders from my doctor, I went in every year, she gave me an order for a mammogram, and I just filed it away on my desk. And my husband happened to see that stack of the orders. And it ranged, I think, from three to four years of orders. And he kept telling me, I need to go and get my mammogram. Well, there's no family history. I see the doctor routinely. I don't feel anything. So I really didn't feel there was any need to go. And he put a sticky note on the pile of orders and basically just said he loves me. And I thought, okay, fine. (laughs) I'll show you. So I go and get my mammogram. And I find out soon after that I have breast cancer and I've got at least two or three tumors in one breast. So my thing was I wanted to share it with everyone. And I felt as though this is something that I never thought would happen to me. So I thought this might be a nice wake-up call for maybe others to who are. I know everybody is doing the same thing as me. They're ignoring orders. So I shared it on social media, and um, it actually was very therapeutic for me because I discovered there are a lot of people out there who have gone through breast cancer and I didn't know it. Um, they were able to help me in my decision because my doctor initially said, you know, you just need to do uh, a mastectomy. You don't need to do bilateral or anything like that. And by talking to a variety of people who have been through it and the fears they had afterwards by not having a bilateral or that cancer came back, my decision was, let's just cut these boobs out and, you know, get rid of this. And so I'm very thankful for that. The relationships, in regards to this whole situation, was interesting to me. The people that I thought were really close friends were some of the people who never really said anything to me, whether they were scared or um, they didn't know what to say. And then there were people who popped out that I really didn't talk to that much, but I discovered really had a connection to me in different ways that I wasn't aware of. So um, it was uh, bittersweet. I guess you could say, but I'm very happy that I did it so openly for me personally.
0: Yeah, I was similar to you in that regard. And I found the exact same thing with people who you thought for sure were going to show up and be front and center were like, you know, mm-hmm. kind of faded into the background and people that you didn't expect it. I had one neighbor that was like, I am bringing you food. So I'm doing it. And you will like it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm gonna do it again next week and you will yes. like it. <laughs> yep. And so it was really interesting those the relationship dynamics and how Absolutely. that evolves through through the this whole journey. Tanja, I know this was Me a too. topic yes. near and dear
3: to you. <laughs> Yes. And I think more so because I had transitions and what I mean by that is that my first diagnosis was totally different than my second diagnosis. And, you know, when you've had it the first time, there's a lot of mystery. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of, there's a lot, of, even a lot of fear because of what you don't know. And for me, I can remember just going to the doctor. The I didn't go to the doctor because I had a lump. I didn't go to the doctor because I felt anything. I didn't go to the doctor because the indented breast oozing, anything like that. I actually went to the doctor because I had, my youngest was about three years old. And in that particular breast, I had pain and I had pain at the very junction of where I would physically express my milk. Cause as you mentioned earlier, I was active duty at the time, so they didn't have nursing rooms like they have now. It was a nasty bathroom, and you went into the stall and you expressed with your hands and you say you didn't. You know the the good things that mom do that moms do. And so I went to the doctor because I was feeling tired and because I was having pain in my left breast. And you know, there's certain things when you go through this journey, what you remember. And I remember the doctor saying, "She's like, you just had a mammogram 13 months ago. This is probably nothing. Why don't you just go ahead and get te- get retested? It's probably nothing, but let's be safe and sorry." That very day, I went and got my get a mammogram. The the technician came back and said, "Ah." Do you have on de- deodorant? And I said, yeah. I said, because I'm just coming from the nurse's um, office, uh, the doctor's office. She's like, well, why don't you go into the bathroom, take off the deodorant that you have because it has a tendency to have aluminum, you know, metals in it. I said, okay, not a problem. She said, ma'am, we're still not getting a good imaging. Why don't you come back? So I came back and she said, don't wear deodorant. Don't wear any lotion. So I did that. I went and they got a good mammogram. I'm um, fast forward, doctors calling. Hey, we need for you to come in. I'm just, I'm like you. I'm just like, I don't have time to be messing with y'all. I got other stuff going on. Y'all just want me to come in to, you know, so you can get another office visit. I'm not fooling with y'all. I got travel to do. Finally decided to go in and she's like, we need to see you. When are you due back? I said, okay. When is your earliest appointment? It was seven o'clock in the morning. And my husband, and I can remember him saying this. He said, Do you want to go? Do you want me to go with you? I said, Man, you haven't been going to me with any appointments. Why now? I'm gonna go to this appointment and I'm gonna go on go on to work. Not a clue that it would turn out to be a life-changing diagnosis. And I can remember sitting in the office and she said, Miss Thompson you have a very fast moving, fast growing cancer. Not only do you have it in one breast, but you have it in both. And it's like a buckshot where we can't even do a lumpectomy. And the first thing I said, I said, doctor, how are you gonna tell a 40 some year old woman that she bought to lose breasts? And I can remember the long walk to the car. So fast forward a little bit. I can remember walking out of the hospital and sitting in my car and saying, how am I going to tell my husband I have breast cancer? And I I called my husband on the phone and told him that I had breast cancer. And I just can remember the silence and just knowing how devastating it must have been for him. But fortunately, his brother was there and he said why don't you come home right now i was like no nah, I, I can't come home right now i need to go to another doctor so i can get 3 days off from work <laughs> so i can remember going home and telling my husband and just the the fear in his eyes and we had 3 children at the time and the youngest was 5 years old and i can remember us having to tell them because one breast cancer didn't run in my, in my family. No one in my family has had breast cancer. And so for this to come out the blue and the only person that we even knew that had breast cancer, and it wasn't even anyone close, that person died. So we associated breast cancer with death. And I can even remember telling my children and my middle one and the oldest one, because we say it mommy's going to be okay they even now when you talk about it were you guys afraid were you in fear they's like no because you said that everything was going to be okay so for them because I didn't have to have chemo I didn't have to have radiation the first time they were okay because there was no visible changes other than surgery, which, of course, as a child, you're not going to see that. So they did, there wasn't any interruption in their, in their life. And telling my sister and my brother, who was the next set of um, individuals that I told, they immediately started to cry. And I was like, no, we're not doing any crying right now. So my strength also helped them be strong and that is what one got me through but then my family as well because my strength as i mentioned earlier helped them and everyone else because when they when they told when they told the story or were telling the story they said but don't go to her crying don't go into pity because she's going to immediately smack you back with a bit be- like a baseball bat so um that was, that was my, you talk about family relationships and all of that. That's how, you know, it was for me it was, it was the strength um, of family, but me being the strong one as well.
0: Well, and you set the tone, which I think yeah. is
3: important because they let you set the tone. Mm-hmm.
0: I yeah. think sometimes and then that's being the oldest,
3: You see, I'm the oldest, yeah. so <laughs> you don't have much of a choice. <laughs> Yeah.
0: So that reminded me of being at um, the night before my surgery, we had an appointment with a nurse practitioner because we my surgery got moved from one hospital to another. And they do a group meeting where they tell you all about what it's like to have a mastectomy and what surgery is going to be like and what post-surgery is going to be like. And You got this great big basket of stuff to go home with. And here's how you manage drains. And we missed that appointment with all the other people. So the only day I could do it, because you know, we're busy. (laughs) As as you and Charlotte and Gemma have all said, we're busy. Um, We went the night before surgery and I have worked with people. I had done research on all the different procedures I actually knew what my surgery was gonna look like better than the nurse did. She was like showing me pictures and I'm like, I actually'm drawing her pictures about of how my stuff's gonna be different. But we walked out of that three hour meeting and we got in the car, and my husband looked at me and said, Did they do that to everyone the night before surgery? That's terrifying. Because he, he's like, I know that you know what they're doing and you're good with it. And this didn't freak you out. But I'm completely freaked out right now. <laughs> and But his concern was for like, is this what they do to people? Because most people are like me and don't know what's happening. And wow. <laughs> he, he was like, Oh, oh my goodness, I just don't know how, how they, that's crazy. And then I reassured him that they don't normally meet with people the night before. This was like an odd situation. But it's, there's a lot of different components, like how our medical folks talk with us and how we interact with other people and how they interact with us. So Robin, I would love for you to to share one of your experiences.
4: Yes, and I think it's interesting how sounds like a lot of us were in our 40s when it happened, which is considered young. Anything under 45, at least here in Canada, is considered young. And I was 44. And for me, it was just calcification on mammograms and keep continuing to have them until they did a needle biopsy. And like charlotte i really wanted to educate people so i wasn't quiet about it and everyone was shocked i was the supposed healthy one right i ate well i ran every day i did all these different things though the stress that i had in my life i had kind of ignored being busy like everyone else and getting everything done and doing too much and so it was a shock to me and everyone else in my world but there wasn't any social media then, so I didn't have that venue to educate people. But I became part of the peer support later and joined the cancer support groups and did different things and talked to everyone at my work and did all of that to do the education. And I think what was surprising, I think we've all kind of talked about that with relationships and I was dating someone at the time, so I had that support. Um, my laundry would get done. I'd get meals cooked for me. So it was really great. And it was just like, all I can do is take care of myself right now. If you want me to deal with the relationship, forget it. (laughs) You know, it's like day to day, uh, hour by hour, minute by minute is just what I need to do. And there wasn't as much resources, but I, you know, cancer became my research, everything. I'd go to the cancer agency, use the librarians, and what little different research I could do. And with my own family, I didn't really have that support. My mom has had mental, or well, she was alive then, so she had mental illness, was in extended care. And my brother and sister-in-law and niece and nephew just, I think they were just freaked out and didn't know how to deal with it. At the time, it felt really painful. And then I just kind of see how they have not the same capacity that I have. So I've gone through forgiveness and all of that around it. But it was people at work would contact me, especially my union group that I was involved in and checking in on me. And so, yeah, I think it's interesting how we open up that support to other places. And I think it's so much better now with social media and and different ways that we can connect and, I remember at that time we had like early days computers and it was part of some pilot and it was just hard even to just log on to the computer, <laughs> let alone actually work through the modules or whatever it was. And the other support that I really enjoyed was through the hospital and the cancer agency was the stress groups helping us to relax. So healing touch, music, music all of these different things, because I just feel felt like I was so tense, I didn't know how to relax, I hadn't ever been able to relax, that wasn't my history. So that was really, really beneficial for me. And out of that came a retreat I went to that was life changing. And the people there that hold such a beautiful space for people for a week to just be taken care of and being able to look at What is death like? What is life like? And there was eight of us women and there's only two of us left alive. So we had people that died shortly after that experience and it was just so touching to be with them.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a challenging, challenging, challenging journey. It's interesting how that openness, you know, being open to what comes and receiving. I think it's hard for us as women to really receive and accept help. And I think this journey definitely helps us in that way to receive more and be open to receiving from unexpected places, kind of yep. re- releasing our expectation.
4: Yeah, expectations, control, all of that. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes. And what my huge gratitude for that group is because for some people, we had a one on one with a counselor. And for a lot of people, cancer is around loss, but I'd already, you know, that was my life, I'd had a lot, lot of loss in my life. And it was really just reopening back up to my spirit, which I'd kind of shut down that part of myself. So forever grateful for that experience.
0: Yes, I think everyone here has has gone through a reimagining of sorts. That wraps our first Survivorship Chat of October. While all of us have followed a path of promoting awareness and advocacy, we've all gotten here by very different ways. We chose to share more openly at different stages. We all had different diagnoses, and two of the five of us have had a recurrence. One of the most interesting parts of this week's topic for me was how we all experienced unexpected people showing up to support us in really big ways, while we also experienced even more unexpected people falling away. I saw a post on boundaries recently where someone was talking about managing the people in your life when times are tough. Their take was on limiting the people you let be of support. And while I'm all about having boundaries around what you're available for to discuss and receive advice about, I think our chat today shines a light on how our expectations of people may not always match what happens when the rubber hits the road. Next week, we'll be back talking about surgery choices, body image, chronic pain, and challenges no one prepared us for related to the physical components of breast cancer survivorship. I hope you'll listen in. In the meantime, come on over to the Facebook group, Surviving is Just the Beginning, and join us as we continue the conversation there. As always, thanks for listening and have a great week.